um, it's my great honor and privilege um, to be able to uh, make the Word of God clear um, as much as possible and continue the theme of the love of God for his creation that we've been preaching about for the last few months, uh, particularly a theme that the Lord has put on our senior pastor's heart, and which is found in the book of Romans, God's um, revelation to St. Paul, the apostle, uh, in this marvelous book that uh, I call A Window to the Bible. A Window to the Bible, where we get to look into this window and see uh, Almighty God's marvelous purpose for creation, and God's purpose for the church, and God's purpose for you and for me to be on this planet. Nothing happens by coincidence. You are not here by coincidence. I'm not here by coincidence. But you were placed on this planet and I was placed on this planet according to the marvelous purposes of Almighty God. Your parents and my parents had no control over the combination of the genetic chromosome and the gene pools that came together to bring you into this life. They had no control over the DNA activity and the recombinant chromosomatic activity going on when your mother's egg uh, met your father's sperm in utero. They had no control over it. All they did was got married, came together, and after a little bit of friction, here we are. All right? Wouldn't it be good if you had some control over who you wanted to be? Huh? What would you name yourself if you had the opportunity to give yourself a name? Right? Rolando? Right? You, your, name, you, your name was given to you by convention. It was a conventional decision that two people make to call you what you are. Now, would I want to be Isaac? Uh, I'm not so sure I would want to be called Isaac because when you say Pastor Isaac, it, it doesn't sound very apostolic. I mean, I'd rather be called Pastor Josh. <laughs> Pastor Joe. Doesn't it have a nice ring to it? Pastor Coba. Right? Pastor Manuel. I, I like that. But Pastor Isaac, who ever heard of that? It sounds like something from Syrian Antioch. Pastor Isaac. And so maybe if I would have had a chance to call myself or to combine the DNA the way I wanted to, it might be different. But I thank God that in his marvelous purposes and glory, he put it all together and here you are and here I am. What a blessing, right? You had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with being here. And you will have nothing to do with the way you go out. All those things are in the hand of Almighty God. But did you think that God put us here without a purpose? Do you think God put us here without a plan? No, no. God is a vastly more intelligent being than we could ever imagine. And in his imagination, he put you here and put me here 
for a fabulous purpose, and that is that you might meet his son Jesus Christ during your pilgrimage on this earth, and that the spirit of Jesus Christ would come into your life and mine, and that we would grow into the humanity that God originally planned for us to be, and that is to grow into humans that would be giving glory to God by the image of his son in us. You should have clapped right there. And so here we are with this great purpose. And the purposes of God is what the Bible is all about. That's why we would love to you to read your Bible, to love the Word of God, so that you can understand why you and I are here. Basically, we're here because God loves us. This mighty, mighty creator who created the universe this creator who is even beyond the universe. But you and I on this planet for a reason. The reason he put us here was for us to give glory to God as we sung today in worship. Isn't our worship team fabulous? Aren't they wonderful? And so we sang that song, we're here to make God glorious. You are here and I am here to give glory to God with your life and mine. But something happened a few thousand years ago in a garden called Eden. Where two human beings were placed there by the grace of God. Where they were given a choice by Almighty God. Free volition. Free will. To decide whether they would walk with God or walk away from God. And because of the deception of the devil called the serpent, Adam and Eve, our forefathers, who are deeply a part of our genetic structure, I believe, and our biological structure, made a decision. And that decision has affected it, humanity, for time immemorial. And the decision they made was to disobey God, to rebel against God, a good God, a loving God, a merciful God, compassionate, gracious in every way. And to do whatever they wanted to do and not listen to the word of God, but listen to the devil and listen to Satan. And from that moment on, some horrible consequences entered the human race. It broke God's heart. Somebody might say, well, if God is so big, why did their decision make him react so violently against the universe and ourselves because you and I are connected to the universe. Whatever Adam and Eve did in this planet, swirling around the outside of the Milky Way galaxy, one among trillions of galaxies, in this vast universe, the decision made on this little tiny blue pinprick called Earth affected the entire universe. The decision to disobey God that Adam and Eve made affected the entire warp and woof of this cosmic order. And because of the decision to disobey God, 
according to Isaac Newton, what entered into the mechanical universe was the second law of thermodynamics, and that means that everything is dying in a steady state. Because the first thing that began to die was Adam. And after that, a ripple effect of sin and disobedience reached the outer recesses of this cosmic infinite order. As we go, the universe goes. Did you understand that? I don't understand it, but it sounds convincing. All I know is that whatever we did on this planet has an infinite, not an eternal, but an infinite impact because there's a difference between infinite and eternal. And so because we haven't got it straight yet, this universe, according to what we heard last week, in this word in Greek, stenazo, is they say groaning and moaning and sighing like a woman in labor. But a good God, a loving God, in order to get it straight for his entire universe, begins to get it straight in the human race. Is everybody following so far? That's the story of the Bible. The story of God getting this thing straight. So that we could come back to enjoy his eternal purposes for you, for this planet, for our ecology, for the suffering oceans, for the crying whales, for the sighing trees, and make this universe brand new all over again, beginning with you and me. But the story starts with us getting it straight. By dealing with the sin problem. And so God gave a law to expose sin for what it is. But the more we try to obey the law, the more we fail. Is the story that Paul is saying. The harder we try, the worse it gets. The worse we are. Have anybody here tried to just be good without sinning for seven days? Fasting from everything? Fasting from your cellular, tacos de tripas, trying hard not to sin. Has anybody here tried hard not to sin consistently for seven days? Raise your hand. You tried really hard. Did it work? Did it work? Oh, did, if you are, you're ready to go to heaven. Let me send you there. I'll send you there real quick. As far as we know, the law is good because it exposes sin in us. But it can't help us do what God expects us to do, to be sinless. Therefore, we need help beyond the law. And so Jesus, God sent Jesus Christ, his son, his only begotten son. There was a discussion in heaven between three beings, Father God, Father Son, and, Father, Father, and, and Holy Ghost, God the Holy Ghost. The Trinity was discussing in their divine council. Let us make man in our own image. And there was discussion going on, and they said, these people on this planet are in big trouble. Pay attention. They're in big trouble. What can be done about it? How can I take them back into myself? 
How can I let them see my glory? Because right now they're in quarantine. They can't see my glory. We have to take care of this problem. Does anybody here have an idea? I'm just kind of thinking about how it went and how the Bible came into be. And one of those three who's been in the Godhead for eternity said, Father, here I am, send me. Send me. I know you can't go, Father. You've got so many things to do beyond this universe. But one of us has to go down there and take care of this sin problem that keeps them from being the glory of God in the human race. Who will go? And the eternal humble one, who is humble from eternity, said, take me, I'll take the step down. His name is Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, who decided that he would come down and he would take on himself a human body. And in this body, he would live in this body for 33 years. And every time he was tempted by Satan to sin, he said, no, 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 no. Sin never touched him once. And because he did that, he became the eternal, blameless, immaculate, perfect Lamb of God that God required from the history of anthropology to die for the sins of every man and woman that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he'll take your sins away and God will begin his work in you to glorify you to become the person that he made you to be. This is the story of the Bible. Are you paying attention? No, no, no. Are you paying attention? The story of the Bible is about God getting it straight in us and us through the power of the Spirit of Christ living in you and me. God is at work taking care of that problem called sin that we could not take care of ourselves by his life, by his death, and by his powerful resurrection from the grave. His Spirit is in you and me helping us take care of this issue that we can't take care of ourselves. God is at work in you. God is at work in me. Isn't that powerful? God is at work in you to do his will in you and to do his will in me in spite of who Isaac is, in spite of what Isaac has done. In spite of the failure he is morally, ethically, in spite of who I am, God is still at work in me, and that is called his grace and mercy. In spite of who you are. So you see, I can't gloat over my salvation because it's God working in me to his good pleasure. Because he loves me and he wants you and me not only to be glorified. What does glorified mean? That means that God will achieve his purpose in me for the reason he made me. Is everybody listening? God will achieve his purpose in me according to why he made me. That's to be glorified. That's the glory of a thing. Why do I plant an orange tree in my backyard? Why? Because I want to have shade? Right? To see the shiny leaves? No, no. Why? Why? Hopefully to give oranges, right? Right? So what is the glory of an orange tree? 
to give fruit. And what kind of fruit is it? Oranges. If a tree that's supposed to give oranges doesn't give oranges, what do you do to the tree? Get it the heck out of there. Taking up room. Jesus saw a fig tree and it wasn't giving figs. What did Jesus do? Hey, don't get mad about Jesus cutting down trees, okay? Any tree huggers in here? Don't get mad about it. He didn't find figs, so he said, get it out of here. Right? And so, the glory of a thing is when it reaches its purpose. And the glory of a woman, pay attention. The glory of a woman and the glory of a man is when you become the person that God made you to be. That's his glory in you. When you and I are rebellious and we go our own way and, you know, committing adultery, uh, living a wasted life, burning our brains out with fentanyl and smoking too much pot and saying, oh, God made it. Well, God made snakes too. You want to bite its head off? You know what I mean? Oh, God made weed. Yeah, well, it's okay. Well, you go right ahead. I mean, you know what? But don't be driving five miles an hour on the freeway. Um, that, that's another message right there. The point of it is, is that God made you and I. And, and this is the story here of the passage we're going to read. Right? God is at work through Jesus Christ. Once you've given your heart to Christ, once, once the Lordly Spirit, that's why I call Jesus the Lordly Spirit. Why Lordly? Because he's the Lord of all spirits and he has the right and the authority to claim your heart and fly his flag in your heart. He has the claim. Okay, not Hollywood, it has no claim on you. Not a free lifestyle, it has no claim on you. Not money, it has no claim on you. Not Socrates, good man, doesn't have a claim to your heart. Buddha, excellent moral life, doesn't have a claim on your life. Didn't resurrect from the dead. But the purest, most beautiful, most perfect, most holy, most loving person who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again powerfully the third day. He has a claim to every human heart. If you're in jail, he has a claim on your heart. In the hospital, claim on your life. Do you have cancer? Claim on your life. He has the right to your heart and mind. That's why I call him the Lordly Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is a Lord over all human spirits. And that's why he lives in you and he's at work in you. To do and to, and, to, and to have the result that God wants in your life and mine. Now watch this. Romans chapter 8. Does everybody understand now what the Bible is all about? Do you understand what St. Paul is trying to say? In this most poetic of all passages in the history of classical literature. The cathedral bells start ringing in chapter 8. Because God finally is doing something that humanity needs. And that's for God to have his will and purpose in you, mijo. Hey, 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 hey. God made you for a reason. You think it's to live for yourself? No, it's to live for him. 
Now, don't get scared now. I'm just saying that generally speaking. You know what I mean? it's, you're here for a reason, okay? <laughs> don't get all scared now. This, this old man, he, this old man can't, even, can't even beat a noodle. Okay, Holmes, here we are. Chapter 28, verse 26 of Romans. Is everybody there? Put it on the wall. Hey, you got to love the Bible. Does anybody love the Bible? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. You got to love the Word of God. You want mystery, esoteric? You want salvation? The Bible is the book about salvation. Likewise, the Spirit. Likewise, who? Right. It's a, it, it, it's a he in the Bible. In Greek, Hanuma, the spirit, also helps our infirmity, which means our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we should, but the spirit himself prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches or plumbs the depths, he has sonar of the human hearts. He knows what is the mind of the spirit as he searches in your heart and mind because he makes, he prays for the saints according to the will of God. Let me say something right here. It says, and the spirit who is in you and in me when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of Jesus Christ lives in your heart and my heart now when you give your heart to Jesus. Everybody listening? So when it says the Spirit, it means the Spirit of God the Father, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ himself, the Holy Spirit himself, the Holy Trinity is at work in your heart and mind. Does anybody need any bigger helper? Why would you need a bigger helper if the one that's in your heart created the heavens and the earth? If the ones in your heart opened up the Red Sea so that Israel could cross it on dry land? If the one that's in your heart raised Jesus up from the dead on the third day and he scared the heck out of everybody? The one that's in your heart is a powerful God. When you see the word spirit, it means that the spirit of the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is inside of you, helping you and me when we're weak, when we need help, when we're sick, when we fail, when you don't feel good, when you think you're nobody. He's saying, someone's in you that's saying, you're somebody or else I wouldn't have made you. I don't make trash. I don't make garbage. Okay? If you, if, if you feel suicidal today, if you feel depressed today, if you feel oppressed today, if you're sick today, I want you to know something. There's something powerful inside of you helping you to become the person that God wants you to be and to heal you because he's at work in you. Yeah. 
Somebody said, I can't help myself. That's exactly where God wants you to be because when you can't help yourself, he can help you. I mean, if you got it all and you don't need any help, then God can't help you. That's why I like to admit my weakness because when I'm weak, then he's strong. How many of us would rather be sick than have good health? Story of my life. You know why? Because when I'm sick, God can help me. When I suffer, God can help me. When I'm in pain, God's at work. You follow me? If I got it all, I'm like, ah, he don't need me. Wait, 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 hold on, Lord. Let me smash my hand with a hammer now. Because I need your help. How many of us need God's help? Right? Oh, can you help yourself? Oh, okay, then. All right. You go ahead and help yourself. See where that gets you. See where that gets me. I need God's help. We need God's help. And you can have nobody better than God in your corner to help you when you can't help yourself. That's what it's saying right here. The Spirit of God is working in you. And then look what it's saying right here. He said, he's groaning. Now, you know what? I was thinking about that word groaning, Pastor Josh and Koba, my Greek scholars. I don't like that word. He's groaning. You know what make me people, uh, when you hear the word groaning, uh, most people take it uh, weak. Hey, Oh, man. Groaning. I'm groaning. No, no, no. But you know, it does. the word groaning, the word stenazo in Greek is different has a different sense because if the Holy Spirit is in you, if the powerful God that created the universe is in you and the Holy Spirit is in you, you think he's groaning? Uh, uh. You know, like whales, when they take audio of the whales, and, you know, astrophysicists, you hear some noises from the universe going, what's making that noise? The universe is groaning. But it's not a groaning in the sense that it is pathetic. If it says the spirit is groaning, who the word stenazo doesn't necessarily mean that. It means straining. It means straining. Who strains? Wrestlers strain. Who strains? Athletes strain when they cross the line. You're straining when you're running the 400 and you hit the window of pain. You're straining to finish strong because you know that if you finish when you're straining after you cross the line, what's waiting for you if you get first place? Victory. So that the straining that's going on in our hearts when we're going through pain and when the universe, the nature is suffering together with us, the straining is a straining in hope. That the Holy Spirit is straining in you to get it straight in you and get it straight in me. But he's straining in the hope of the power of Almighty God that someday this, this, this battle, this interior, this interior uh, uh, war is going to find victory. So that the straining is a straining in hope because at the end of it, God will be glorified and there will be victory in your life and mine. Does everybody understand now when you see the word groaning there? Stenazzo has a sense of victory. 
That the same God that created the universe and raised Jesus up from the grave is not a, I don't want to say he's not a weenie, but he's not weak, okay? It's straining with a victorious end to it. Let's move on. And we know that all things, watch this, see, it's what I'm talking about. If God is in you and God is in me and the Holy Spirit is at work and he's straining to get this right, straining in the hope that something good's happening. See, like uh, sister, one of the sisters last week when you say that, we're, that, that a lady is in labor, the idea, sisters, of being in labor, you're straining, right? You may be groaning, but you're straining in hope. You're straining in expectancy, and it hurts, and you suffer. And, and, and I'm standing by Rita right there watching her straining to get Joshua out. And then he had a pretty fat head. Straining to get Koba out. He was the bigger one. Straining to get David out. Straining. There's a point of suffering and pain right there, but guess what? There's a crib at home. Right? There's baby toys at home. I mean, he's not even big. He already, already had a truck at home waiting for him. Straining in hope. Because something good is coming. And that's how the Holy Spirit is in your heart and mind. Straining in hope that God's going to get it straight one day in your life, honey. No matter how bad you feel, no matter how much you fail, no matter how much you hurt, no matter how pain you got, no matter how much you've blown it. Just because you blew it, God is not walking away from you. He is straining in your heart to get this thing done. I mean, even if you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart since you came in here, you came in the right place, my friend. I'm glad you're not in a crack house. I'm glad you're not in some sorry bar somewhere that smells like tobacco and, uh, and uh, pine sole. I'm glad you're in the house of God with good, wonderful people that know that we can't help ourselves, but we serve a God that can help us. And see, it says here, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Right? Called according to his purpose. And we know, look, and we know that everything works together, honey. Everything works together. Oh, man, I got a flat tire. God's going to bring something good out of it. You know what it is? Up ahead, three minutes ago, there was an accident. Five people got killed. Thank God for the flat tire. Oh, well, man, I'm so sick. I'm in the hospital. I don't know when I'm going to get out. Thank God you're in the hospital. You were able to share with the nurse and the doctor about the love of God. And somebody came to know Jesus. I know when I was in the doctor and they pulled out my old intestine, my colon. They pulled the whole thing out. I mean, they didn't yank it out. They got tools now. You're looking at a Mexican without a colon. Well, how does he digest tacos al pastor? How is he so fat without a colon? What's going on? 
Oh, I don't know. That's God. I got a good God and a wife that cooks up good food. God is good. And guess what? My doctor was a Buddhist. No offense if you're a Buddhist out there listening. Don't turn it off. My doctor was a Buddhist, then he gave his heart to Jesus. He realized Jesus was the Lordly Spirit. After a month and a half of me saying, praise God, Dr. Doe. Glory to God, Dr. Doe. God is good, Dr. Doe. You opened me up, but God is shutting me up. You can't do nothing about closing the wound. But God can. He gave his heart to Jesus. Isn't that a blessing? It's a blessing. In other words... Even if you're suffering, my friend, today, even if you're going through big problems today, even if you see things in your life that are insoluble today, God's going to bring something good out of it. And that is that there is no Christian character and nobody gets any glory unless there comes suffering and pain with it in Jesus' name. Jesus was not raised from the dead until he went through the cross. And God can only be glorified in your life in pain and suffering in hope that God will be at work. Get in touch with your pain. Don't try to avoid your pain. Get in touch with where it hurts, mija. Get in touch with where you need help and you're weak. Get in touch with that because when you get in touch with that, you know that God is right there helping you get through that. Where is it? Oh, no. Oh, America, we're pain avoidant, aren't we? We're pain avoidant. We want to avoid pain. We want to avoid the way we look as the years come on us. And gravity starts to take place, and now my stomach is down by my toes, and, and my jowls are hanging down. And uh, we'll leave it at that. I'm serious. Don't look at me like that. I'm not the only one getting old. Huh? Somebody said we're all young. You'll be young in the coffin and you'll still be young in there. <laughs> I'm young, man. Hey, I'm gonna, in my will, I'm going to say, honey, make sure you take all my rugas out, right? You know, so. Praise God. God's at work, isn't he? He's at, no matter what, God's at work in you. Did you fail? God's still at work. Huh? To do his good pleasure. You better not have those idbills in there listening to music while I'm talking. For whom he did foreknow. Do you know what that means? That did he foreknew you and me? It means that before you and I were born, he had a plan for us already, those of us that would love Jesus. Right? It's better to be foreknown than to be unknown. Ain't that right? Because if he didn't foreknow you, then he didn't know you whatsoever. The idea of foreknow means that God brought us out of the unknown into the known so that we could meet Jesus Christ and be known by God. So that means. Work together, he goes. Uh, he also did predestinate us. What does the word predestinate mean? It has two words, pre and destiny. 
All right, and that means that ahead of time, God has a destiny for all of those that love Jesus Christ and all of you that have Jesus Christ in our heart. God has a destiny for you and for me. And what is that destiny? That you and I would become like the Lord Jesus and that someday you and I will see God in all of his colors and all of his music and all of his power and all of his glory, that you and I would see God the way that God made us. That's your destiny and my destiny. And it's not just get up in the morning, have a, have a glass of orange juice, smoke a cigarette, sit down and have three drinks of whiskey and smoke a reefer. You know, and read the Los Angeles Times, right, all depressed, bags under your eyes, your head beating real loud, boom, 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 boom. No, that's not our destiny. Our destiny is to fall in love with Jesus. Our destiny is to live with God for eternity and enjoy the glory of God forever. That's your destiny and my destiny. God did not make you to be a gopher. God did not make you a mole. God did not make you a frog. Although we may act like frogs every now and then. God made us to glorify him. I'm glad I'm not a frog. I'm glad I am who I am in Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's predestiny, that God has a destiny for me. Conform to the image of his son. See there? My destiny is to be like Jesus. How many of you want us to be like Jesus? How many of us struggle to be like Jesus? You know why? Because you ain't Jesus. <laughs> you ain't Jesus. Don't be even trying to act like Jesus. Many people try to act like Jesus on a good day. Hallelujah. Praise God, brother. Hallelujah, sister. Glory to God. You know, get, get away. Get out of that. Get out of that. Right? Be yourself, but transformed more and more like him. And one day, we're going to look like Jesus. That's God's glory in us. That's the orange from the tree that you and I, God has made us to be like Jesus. And so it says um, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay? Everybody get what that means then right there? Because Jesus, who died and rose from the dead, who is our Savior, right? He's the first orange on the tree. Get it now? All of us are getting worked on through the Spirit of God in us so that we would give that fruit to God by being the people that God wants us to be. And someday you and I will because of his grace and mercy. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, that means that the people that he set aside for their destiny to look like Jesus, he also called, right? I know I, 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 I raised my sons, uh, my three boys, and then I'm raising my grandsons now a little bit. And uh, boy, I was happy the other day when... Uh, when um, Joseph, uh, my baby boy, uh, Koba's boy, got called up to uh, to the superstars. He got called up. He, whatever, Koba. He said all stars. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I'm usually trying to correct them and Josh when they're preaching down there, and then now he's trying to you know help me out up here. Thank you, Koba. <laughs> all right. Okay. Same goes for Elisha. He's a you know, sophomore, and then uh, Polly High, and all of a sudden, he got called up. 
And that's what that word right there means, called. In Jesus Christ, all of us used to be freshmen and sophomores, and all of a sudden, we got called up to a higher level of human life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We're on the varsity now. We're on the, you're on the first team now of humanity. Even in softball and in all the sports, when you get called up, that's special, right? We called out from darkness into light. Called from what we were to what God wants us to be. Called to the image of God. Called out from an old way of living to a new way of life that pleases God. And finally, called up to be the people that God wants us to be through the power of the Spirit at work in you and me. Verse 30, uh, verse 30 and that's, that's where I conclude. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, that means to the people that he finally came, uh, that came into his plan of salvation, to the ones that he called up, and whom he called, them he also justified. That means that you and I are justified. All these words go together. Called, predestined, foreknown, and now justified. That means that even though we're not perfect, we're perfect in Jesus Christ. And God considers you in Jesus to be copacetic. Just exactly what he wants. Not because you're perfect, but because God is at work in you, calling you what you're not. Do you know that God calls us over or not? Even though we're unrighteous, God calls us righteous in Christ. Even though we don't deserve it, his mercy gives us that. God is at work in you, right? So in other words, I'm a believer in spite of who I am. Because God is at work in me. All right? And it says, whom he justified, he also glorified. There it is. That the work that God is doing in you is leading towards the glorification of the human race. And you're being glorified and producing the fruit that God wants you to produce. And that means that someday you and I will look like Jesus. And on that day, the trees will clap their hands. On that day, the waters will boil clean. On that day... The lion and the lamb, according to the Isionic vision, will sit down and munch on grass together. On that day, you and I will hold snakes in our hand and they won't bite us. On that day, this whole universe is waiting for you and I to get it straight. And God is at work in you to do that very thing. God bless you, church. Pastor Josh. Let's all stand, please. I'm going to take my hat off to that. Let's all say this prayer. Ready? Heavenly Father. I can't hear you. Heavenly Father. Thank you for loving me for bringing me into existence so that I can meet you through Jesus Christ my Lord I thank you that when I'm bad 
You're still good in me. Executing your purpose. In spite of who I am. I praise you, Lord Jesus. For dying for me at the cross. And I praise you, Holy Spirit. For raising Jesus up. From the grave in three days. To be the first fruit that glorifies humanity the way you expect all of us to be someday. Would you forgive our sins today? We want to obey you. We want to serve you. And we want to glorify you with our lives every single day. Making good choices that honor you. For it is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Give God a hand clap today.